Cup of Care, a podcast series about Canadian family caregivers, their diversity, their roles, their experience, and what they have learned that might help us each see care in a new way. In this show, we keep things grounded in real experience and remember that those experiences are unique from one person to another. In each episode, we will meet a new family caregiver and chat with them over a cuppa. Welcome to the Family Caregiving Series. My name is Sebtain. I'm in the final year of an undergraduate degree in physiology and pharmacology, and actually I've just recently graduated. I'm trying to pursue a career in healthcare, and I have a unique interest in the different perspectives of healthcare and what they may look like for different people. And I'm Catherine, but everyone calls me Katie. I'm a PhD student in psychology with many interests focused around people's lived experience of significant transition. I'm passionate about learning from older adults and their families, be that through my research or volunteer work. And we're pleased today to welcome Sheila, who is a teacher. She is also recognized as a knowledge keeper or an expert in Plains Creek culture. Sheila is a family caregiver to an untold son. Because this is an, an important tradition in Sheila's community, Sibtain and I would like to offer Sheila a gift of tobacco and broadcloth as we ask her to share her family's story with us today. There are five pieces of broadcloth. Four are solid colors, white, yellow, red, and blue. And the fifth is green, blue, and white flowered print. Sheila, I would like to ask that you share your family's story with us. Would you be willing to do so? Yes, I would. Thank you uh, very much for um, honoring our tradition. Just a little bit of background. Katie and I first met with Sheila a few weeks ago to plan for this interview. And at that meeting, Sheila so generously offered to explain this tradition that she and Katie have just taken part in. Sheila, what is the significance of what just happened? Usually uh, tobacco is offered to uh, elders or, or people in our community. An elder might be male or female to ask the request, some knowledge that they have to share with you. The broadcloth is usually called the flags, and they offer to uh, a ceremonial elder to uh, hang uh, either at a Sundance or in a tree, and this promotes the, the sharing of the culture to our ancestors, and that's how it's done. And the tobacco is... Usually we just carry it while we're, we're speaking. So I'm going to take it out of the bag. It kind of just guides us and, and helps us tell a story or tell whatever we have to share. feels to me almost like it's a grounding. Yeah. It's a, it's a way of sort of mm-hmm. settling to yeah. what's happening. And it's a calling of our ancestors to help us with whatever we're trying to help another person for. To begin, I'd like to invite you to tell us a little bit about your relationship with your son. My son was um, was hurt in 2000, October 13th. It was uh, Friday the 13th. He was walking across the parking lot and he got attacked and was left for bed. So he had multiple head injuries and as a result of the head injuries, he has become disabled has other issues that have occurred during the time. It's been like 22 years, and he wasn't expected to make it over six years. With his determination, he has 
gone beyond this. He is the second oldest. So with our my other children, the two children usually help with the care of him financially, you know, emotionally and uh, probably spiritually with all aspects of what he needs. How did, uh, I guess, he overcome that initial injury and then move to be more independent? Well, during this time, he was in the hospital for about three weeks and then they assessed his uh, memory, have lost memory of over 90%. And so he was instructed to go to a care home to learn all these things all over again, to learn the skills that he had lost from before, to learn them again. So he did all that, but he wasn't sure what a care home was, so I had to explain it to him. And so from there on, he was determined to try to take all the opportunities that was given to him to help himself. He had to learn to live alone, See, I think it was within six months he was able to live uh, independently. But he went to um, a nursing home to learn these skills. So he had to learn some fire safety skills, learn how to cook on his own. So he, and learn how to go to the store, learn all skills of living, like counting money and budgeting. So he learned all that from going to these uh, for the, he had to go there every day. Mm -hmm. So he had to take the bus, and he was very, really struggling with it because he was using a cane, but he managed to do it and then was able to. That was, I think that was his goal, to try to take care of himself so and uh, live on his own. Yeah, to be independent. Mm -hmm. To be independent, yeah. I'm sure that process must have required a lot of determination and a lot yeah. of resilience from him. Yeah, it it was because later on he uh, did some work skills abilities council, so he was able to go there and do different kinds of work. So mm -hmm. I think that went on for about four years, and then he was getting tired, so he took some time, and then uh, his he was his legs were getting weaker from getting on and off the bus because with a brain injury it it affected it was on the right side, so it affected. Um, his uh, mobility, like mostly on the uh, left side, mm -hmm. and also his walking. And prior to that, he had broken both of his legs when he was younger, so that kind of had a bearing on his uh, mobility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know it was really must have been difficult and challenging for him, but how did you go through this? I felt like I, like I have to do it. i got to help him do it. So I didn't think twice about whether it's going to be hard or easy or how much time it's going to take out of my life, I just knew I had to do it. Yeah. So with the help of my daughter, she gave all the financial support to things that he needs. Most recently he needed a new TV because his TV went down. His, he has a daughter and he has a grandson, so his daughter helps him with food, you know, extra food that he needs. But he uh, usually budgets quite well. He's able to budget his money for the, enough food for the for the month. What has been one of the biggest obstacles that your son has faced? Trying to get in and out of the vehicle because of his knees. It's hard to him to bend them. Like mm -hmm. the, like even when he sits down, he has kind of has to fall down. So this last one, I got him. Uh, actually, we got him. 
we made sure that it has a remote control and it's able to help him get up and um, and it's higher so he doesn't have to really have stress to sit down but he has a problem going to bed as well but with the abilities counselor with his um, when he was uh, still under the care of this hospital brain acquired brain injury team he was under that care for about probably about uh, 10 years mm -hmm. so they would check up on him and see how he's doing and then after that they said they didn't require their help anymore so he was on his own until uh, just recently he's kind of had been having some falling spells so I'm trying to get him back into the acquired brain injury team so that they can check on him every now and then. Him. Yeah, so continue to support him. So he's been off of their team for about 10 years. Yeah. But he was really good in accepting what he needs, what kind of help he needs for him to, you know, continue with his independent living. You were talking kind of indirectly about assistive technology, and I'm wondering about the role of technology in your son's life. I think it's been good for him because he acquired his some technology skills that I don't even have. He just got a smart TV, so he's able to set that up. He knows all the programs. Prior to that, he was given a, a computer, and that kind of helped him bring back some of the skills and some of the memory that he had lost. So he was really good at that. And then when his computer actually went down, so he's using his phone, and then he asked, he asked me if I had a spare keyboard and a mouse. He says, I want to plug it into my TV so I could access Facebook. And so he did that, and he was accessing his email using the TV screen. But now that he has the smart TV, he's got everything on it. Yes. That's great. Yeah, he's got I, Netflix. I didn't know you could do that either. <laughs> it's news to me. <laughs> With the technology, it has helped him acquire more memory. And then when he used to go shopping, because of his um, his brain injury, it looks like he's been drunk or has trouble walking, mm -hmm. and he kind of limps and and he has facial deformities from his acquired brain injury because he might have had a stroke or something because sometimes half of his face is different. So they used to watch him and following him around and then he didn't like that. So I had to go to tell them he is sick. He's, he's not, you know, intoxicated or on medication or on drugs. He has been sick and he does things on his own. So now they've learned to... Um, to greet him, like when he used to go, they, they knew who he was, so they helped him. And I think it helped them figure out that there's a lot of other people that have these same problems, and they kind of just disregard the, the mentally challenged or the people that have these challenges. So, and I used to think, well, they should learn more about, you know, their customers, and people have to go through these things with being stigmatized like that. When you think of your son, what are you most proud of? He wanted to go back to school because I think he just had part of high school, the first beginning part of it. So, and then he talked to the acquired brain injury. The team set him up at SCORE. So he went to SCORE for about a whole year and then he graduated his grade 12. And he was proud and I was proud of him and 
there was about 20 people that in the same program. Uh, a lot of them were new Canadians, and uh, well, he was probably the only one that had this challenge. Mm-hmm. And they were quite supportive each, of each other, and they're very supportive of him because apparently he went through a lot of challenges in the class. He modeled for the family, and as a result, my younger sister, who has a few challenges, she went to score to improve her grade 12, and then she went on to a business college at 45 years old. So he's been a role model, actually, for the family. What advice do you have for other caregivers in similar circumstances? I think they just have to accept the the job that, as a mother, I just accepted it without complaining or wandering down the road how long this was going to take. As a mother, you just do it, you know. And even as grandparents, I think if his grandparents were alive, they would probably do the same thing. Um, in our culture, caregivers are involved. Everybody in the family is involved in caregiving. You've probably heard this, that it takes a village to bring up a child. Well, it doesn't matter how big that child is or how old that, how old that child is. Everybody takes part in in being the support for that person. And so in your caregiving journey, do you think there was ever a moment where you had to differentiate between being a mother versus being a caregiver? Mm-hmm. No, there was no difference prior to this. I worked in a nursing home, so I know, I knew what to do. And most recently, he had an infection in the uh, lungs. So I had to stay with him for three weeks because he couldn't lie down. He kept losing his breathing. We fixed it up, yeah. <laughs> you know, and um, and he as a result he quit smoking because he loved to smoke. So as a result of that, he quit smoking. And on top of all of this, uh, there is Lou Gehrig's that runs in our family, so that's kind of bringing him down again. Mm-hmm. Not meant, not really emotionally, but it's uh, it's um, in his uh, being independent. It's kind of slowed him down. But he still can go out, do his laundry. His laundry room is, luckily, it's only about two doors down in the same place. So he just packs it all up in his uh, walker, like he has a walker and a scooter Mm -hmm. and a cane. So he uses all of those. So he just loads it up, takes it there, and comes back. And uh, he's able to do all that. So the major cleaning, like spring cleaning and blankets, I usually pick up myself and do that. And uh, you also mentioned that you've been having to manage work alongside being a caregiver for your son, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, you work at a high school. Is that yeah. right? How, how long yeah. have you been working there? I've been working there since 2018, but I only have mm-hmm. the afternoons. Right. Yeah. And so how, how do you balance um, a work life while also being a caregiver for your son? If he needs anything, it's usually after work. And I usually, or before work, if... You know, once a month I have to get his food, but sometimes he'll come along because he can ride the scooter, so he needs that outing as well. And so I try to um, make sure that he comes out. Aside from going uh, shopping together for groceries, which can be fun in its own, mm-hmm. right? Uh, what are some other things that uh, you and your son like to do for fun? How do you guys spend time together? We used to go to all the mental health uh, outings, but now he doesn't go to them. He had recently got a grandson two years ago, so I drive him to visit the grandson. So next week we're taking off again because he's going to be two. Everybody is so proud because it's their first 
grandson, eh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Their first grandchild. Yes. So it's like he's the king right now. Right. Of course. So they make a big thing out of it right now, and they have such a big party. Uh, what role do you think spirituality has played in this journey that you and your son um, have been on? I think with spirituality, it, it's there. It's in all in all of us, you know, that we are there to help mm-hmm. and to share and to love the person that needs that help. And uh, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and uh, psychologically, we some people are gifted for doing all four and can balance all that. Mm-hmm. And I think he's worked to that point that he knows, you know, he might be missing a few things, but he knows that balance without even thinking about it. And spiritu- spiritually, I usually, usually, he tells me if he needs to smudge, and a smudge is used with sweetgrass, or we can use sage. Sweetgrass is a plant from the earth that is used to pass messages to our ancestors to help us here on earth. So we send that to the Creator to send our ancestors messages and to help us all. So we get help from the Creator plus our um, people that have passed on. And kind of turn this question back at you. Do you think your experience with spirituality has changed in this in this process? With my spirituality, I'm more thankful for the day. I got up this morning and I'm able to be thankful for whatever I have, whatever food I have, whatever person, family I have that are still here. With my own family, I have three children, mm-hmm. but I've lost um, a granddaughter from my oldest through a hit and run. And this happened uh, eight years ago yesterday. She was 28 years old. And the person that uh, that harmed her after he had Went to court, only got three months. And one year, three months house arrest and one year probation. So that really bothers my daughter. And the justice system wasn't on her side. It's what she said wasn't on our side. This happened in in Alberta, in Lloydminster. So she still grieves and is torn by the process of the justice system. I'm so sorry for your loss. I yeah. can't even imagine the pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we have all learned to forgive, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, we continue with life. Just being thankful for the day, you know. There was a time where I wanted things, you know, I needed this. Please give this to me. But once you get it, what do you do with it, you know? And I've learned to think, well, I can't, I have got to be really careful of what I pray for. As long as I have my family, my grandchildren, and my children with me every day, and I wake up every day, and we have food to eat, and we have blessings, and we don't need the unnecessary blessings. If the Creator wants you to have them, He'll give them to you anyway. So I feel feel very prosperous because I don't really think about things that I need. For a while, you know, I've been Mm -hmm. thinking like that. I'm just thinking, thankful for whatever I get. Either I have deserved it or somebody has sent it to me. <laughs> so I am grateful. I've got a great life and I am um, satisfied with it. And I'm satisfied with my, the health of my family. And uh, whatever comes our way.
One thing that I really also liked about your story was kind of how you interpreted the situation rather than seeing the situation and kind of being, I guess, put down by it. You were inspired. You, like you said, you live day to day instead of um, realizing um, what was done wrong. You chose to focus on the blessings that you had in your life. Mm-hmm. And I think to some extent, and I, I may be wrong about this and please do correct me, um, your son kind of holds that same kind of perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of being put down by this situation, yeah. he learned new skills. He yeah. became determined to try to become more independent, which is incredibly mm-hmm. difficult to do yeah. for someone in that situation. So I found that story inspiring, not only from his perspective, but mm-hmm. also from your perspective as a mother. I, I can imagine them. That must not have been easy. So no. yeah, seeing both yeah. of you kind of approach it in those different ways, um, I think is really inspiring. Yeah. There was no question about it. I knew I had to do it. Right. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for listening to the show this week. And if you're a family caregiver, thanks for all the work you do and for taking time to be with us today. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts or watch for these and other resources at appliedinterprofessionalresearch.com and www.spaltc.ca. This series was produced in collaboration with creative partners from the Strengthening of Palliative Approach and Long-Term Care Team and Saskatchewan Long-Term Care Network. Advisory support for this project was provided by Dr. Natasha Hubbard-Murdoch from Saskatchewan Polytechnic and Dr. Paulette Hunter from St. Thomas More College. Technical support was provided by Media Production Specialist Greg Olson from Audio Visual Services at Saskatchewan Polytechnic. In addition to Saskatchewan Polytechnic's financial contribution, production of this podcast has been made possible through a financial contribution from Health Canada. The views expressed herein do not necessarily represent the views of Health Canada. Lastly, as with many things in life, this project would not have been possible without the direct contribution of family caregivers. 